When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk. Wrapping up the NFL Combine at Liberty State Fair back in Columbus. But we have not yet talked about a couple of things that happened at the NFL Combine over the weekend. That means we're going to dig in on Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, and Luke Whipler, players who were interviewed on Saturday, although Dewan Jones wasn't available. And then we did see workouts from C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba on Saturday that we'll talk about, and Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, and Luke Whipler on Sunday that we'll talk about. Before we get in deep on what C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba did and how much they impressed people on Saturday, Nathan, you were there in Lucas Oil Stadium watching it. I just want to get a feel for what the vibe was like because once upon a time, I think it was a more select group of people that were able to be in Lucas Oil to watch the workouts. Now the public can be in there. Anybody with a media credential, you don't have to get a special extra workout credential to be there. So you were in the building to watch CJ and Jackson. And what was it like? Really interesting. You know, it was a very pro CJ Stroud crowd. And I think that it was probably not necessarily just OSU people coming over because they weren't cheering for Jackson Smith and Jigba the same way. I think it was a lot of Colts fans cheering for CJ Stroud because they were, they were for him and him alone and uh, Bryce Young's not throwing. And uh, they liked all of the quarterbacks, you know, all the quarterbacks at the top. So, you know, Anthony Richardson got a good ovations and um, Will Levis got good ovations, but CJ's were, I think the strongest. I think the Colts, fans may be realistic about what's happening at the top and of the of the draft and what that might mean for them with that number four pick so that was the one thing that that stood out to me just from kind of the vibe of the place and uh there was even a couple humorous times where uh there was a lot of pressure then on the receivers that were running routes for stroud because again it was a very pro stroud crowd so if you let a ball hit the ground they were gonna let you know about it and that happened a couple times and, and Jackson with the Jigba did get some some ovations. Um, again, probably a decent amount of Ohio State people there in the building. And I saw some. I saw C.J. Stroud's family with Corey Dennis, and and uh, we know Brian Hartline was around. So there's definitely some Ohio State people connected there. But uh, a, a, a fun vibe. Uh, I thought it was it was kind of a, a a relaxed vibe, but it gave that 
it gave that uh, that whole thing some energy that wouldn't be there if it was just a an empty stadium. It's still a mostly empty stadium, but I thought the, the crowd helped. You say you saw Corey Dennis there. It, was it in the crowd with CJ's family? Were they down on the field? Where were they? Uh, after the game or after the the workout, CJ was walking off at the other end of the field, and I saw I'm I'm like ninety percent sure it was Corey with um, Kimberly Stroud and some other family members that came down, and he sort of greeted them and talked to them. So um, I didn't okay. get a chance to catch up to them, but yeah, they were there. And I know you saw Brian Hartline. I did not get eyes on Ryan Day. I don't know if he was there or not, but there were definitely Ohio State coaches around all week because I know Perry Eliano and Tim Walton were there earlier this week for the DBs. Okay, so that's like an interesting thing. The The Combine has been in Indy forever. There's a lot of talk about it potentially moving out of Indy, maybe Dallas, maybe LA, maybe Vegas. Maybe they start to move it around like the draft used to always be in New York, and now the draft moves around. They were playing up. Indy is trying to keep it, though. And so I do think like they were sort of playing up the fan aspect of it. Indy wants to keep it. Indy wants to keep it. And there is a part of this that there's just a lot of NFL people walking around getting drunk uh, at night. And like I can be like, what? It's like, it's just what they do. It's like everybody talks about. It. It's like, you got to be downtown so you can be at Stick It Shake It three o'clock in the morning with the special teams coach of some team so you can build a relationship with them. I don't know. I mean, I would go to Steak and Shake. I love the baked beans at Steak and Shake, but I don't want to be drunk with a special teams coach. So anyway, Indy is very good for that. I don't know how Dallas or Vegas or L.A. would be for walking around and everybody being a little toasted and talking football. So I don't know if it'll move. But, man, it's nice for us, and it's nice for Ohio State fans who now can just go over and be like, hey, I don't know you want to go over. You know what they might want to go over and do next year? Watch Marvin Harrison Jr., Think there might be a crowd for that next year, Nathan? I think there might be. I definitely took a picture while I was there of Marvin Harrison's name up in the ring of honor that they have there. And um, it made me wonder. I, it's a question to ask Marvin Harrison Jr. when we get to talk to him at some point this year. Like, uh, does it bother you yet that you haven't gotten into that stadium? Because he had watched his dad play and probably thought, oh, I'm going to get to play in Lucas Oil Stadium multiple times in my Ohio State career, and he's got one shot left. Yeah, no, you see people. I did say something. I saw, again, there were Ohio State people over the place there. I said something, uh, oh, man, you guys just should get apartments over here. And they were like, well, yeah, it's nice to be here for the combine, but I want to be here for the Big Ten Championship game. Like, we're we're not in Indy enough. As much as, you know, anybody who covers, when you cover Ohio State sports and Big Ten sports, Indy becomes your second home. But again, they're, they want to be there for both reasons, not to just celebrate these guys going pro, but to be their winning championships. So let's put a pin in Jackson Smith and Jigba and CJ Stroud, and we'll get to them a little bit later. But I do want to talk about the linemen, Nathan, because we had a, we had a podcast where we talked about our interviews with Zach Harrison and Cam Brown and Ronnie Hickman. That was our Friday podcast. We had a Saturday podcast where we talked about our interviews with Jackson Smith and Jigba and CJ Stroud. So I do want to talk about the guys we talked to. We did get to talk to Luke Whippler. We did get to talk to Paris Johnson Jr. And Dewan Jones, his medicals ran long, and so he didn't get to talk. So we'll we'll see Dewan Jones again, and we'll get into the specifics. One of my favorite things that happened is, I, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a little disappointed that this got by us, Nathan, in his time at Ohio State, but somebody asked Luke Whippler about doing stand-up comedy in high school. And he was like, oh, yeah, I had a labrum injury and I couldn't like do anything athletic. So I decided to do stand-up comedy for two nights. And I was like, how 
Did you know about that? I had never heard about that ever. No, I think, and I think that came maybe from a a New Jersey reporter, possibly. Oh. So that would explain. I think it wasn't coming from Steve. it wasn't coming from one of the 500 Ohio State reporters who were at the combine this week. Um, so I, I think that's where that came from, and and it was again, he, he wasn't on tour. He didn't have a a long residency somewhere. He did it a couple times. He said it was a he said it was a hobby that he picked up, and he was. They tried to goad him into giving us a little, you know, a few seconds there in his 15 minutes of the podium, and he decided to pass. He was he wanted to make sure he was focused on the the task at hand and and looking good for the cameras for the the NFL teams. But not a surprise at all. He's a guy who has always had kind of a quick wit and a little bit of an edge to him, and uh, not not a shock at all. He even kind of came out and started throwing around terms like underwear Olympics, like he was trying to have fun at his at the time at the podium the other day so that th- this is his this is his vibe it doesn't surprise me at all that he's he's been in front of a mic like that there was a reporter who was like underwear olympics did you come up with that people right. have been calling it the underwear olympics for exactly. 30 years yeah. i was like longer than luke never... has been alive yeah that guy that guy's there every year and that guy's like underwear olympics is hilarious i was like dude pay more attention the, one of my favorite things, we have a uh, Jimmy Watkins is our rivalry reporter at Cleveland.com. He does a lot of stuff that's like Michigan, Ohio State, thinking about Michigan through an Ohio State lens, Steelers, Ravens, thinking about them through a Browns lens. So he was over there at Luke Whipler, and Luke Whipler was talking about doing the stand-up. And he, he said, like, in, in that setting, what are the nerds like compared to a football game? And I was like, man, he really went after the comedy nerds because Luke Whippler was like, I was like 13 people in the comedy club. He said there were more people standing around the podium at the combine than there were in the comedy club. But I was like, wow, that's really like, that's really, that's a hard edge question. What are those nerds like? And then I was like, oh, he said, what are the nerves like compared to football? And Luke Whippler said he actually got more nervous doing stand-up. I could understand it. Like in stand-up, you are... You are by yourself. You are fully exposed. Whereas a center, you are surrounded by everybody. You like your mistakes sometimes get a little bit obscured at center as long as you actually snap the ball. I mean, if if you snap the ball and don't get completely flattened, people think you did a good job. I think as a center, they just assume you did. Whereas if you go up there and, and lay an egg with a joke, you're now you're just standing there with your pants around your ankles, figuratively. figuratively. I think, or I mean, if you really Maybe. need, if you're really bombing. Maybe like, well, always pull your pants down. <laughs> Luke Whipler, I think would be a good bit to hike the mic to the crowd, right? Just bend over. Like maybe if it's a wireless mic, it'd be easier. But even if it's a long cord, hike the mic. Like, hey, hey, it's a center. It's hiking the mic. But then somebody was asking him about Dewan Jones, and he was doing like a. I thought he fell into a. Dewan Jones is so big. How big is he? No, I. And Luke that... Whipler was like, he's so big, he makes. Real water bottles look like mini sized water bottles in his hands, which is a thing he actually said. That wasn't someone that asked that question. That was me that asked that question. About oh, so you are pro- helping workshop the how big is Dewan Jones? Oh, I like it. I, I think in, that can, I can go somewhere with that. In anticipation of getting to talk to Dewan Jones, which we didn't get to do, uh, and anticipation of the numbers that he put up that we're going to talk about in a minute, I wanted to get some perspective on just like, okay, you're a big guy. Everybody on the team is a big guy, most of them. But he's like insanely big. So, like, what's your perspective? Like, tell us what's your favorite. Like, Dewan Jones is a massive human being story, and he gave us a couple talking about like how he makes the the first class seats look like, you know, regular coach cramped seats because uh, he's just so massive. So, there's a. I think you could do ten good minutes on Dewan Jones is so big. How big is he? 
So how big is he? Did it not turn out to be the fact, Nathan Baird, that the three longest players at the combine, wingspan, fingertip to fingertip, was it not true that the three longest guys were three Buckeyes? That was not true, but that the arm length, arm length was the three longest Ohio State players. There were three players who were 36 inches and over in arm length, which is different than wingspan. Uh, but all of them were Ohio State players. Dewan Jones was first. I think it was 30, 36 and a half. Let me try to find it real quick. 36 and three eighths for Jones, 36 and a quarter for Zach Harrison, and 36 and an eighth for Paris Johnson. The only three players that went over 36 inches were Ohio State players. This fascinates me because those are some rare dudes, and, and there's probably it's probably coincidental because two of them are five-star athletes in the Columbus suburbs. And it's not Columbus suburbs. Paris is in Columbus suburbs, but Paris is down the road, right? right. And Zach right. Harrison's right there in Olentangy. And Dewan Jones is this diamond in the rough that they dug out who was a basketball player, and they found, and they developed him into what he has become. So I don't think they said, hey, look at how long their arms are. Let's go recruit those guys. But it also it does a little bit. Nathan, you're always sort of looking for what's the thing that teams are trying to diagnose. And it almost makes me want to know, do they note arm length? Do they have a tape measure? Do they go out? Is Tim Walton out there like, hey, Calvin Simpson Hunt has long arms. I'm going to just for I'm making stuff up now. But yeah. you know what I mean? Because yeah. Three for three. Now, wingspan is fingertip to fingertip with your arms spread out wide, and right. that includes your chest. So if you have a wide chest, well, people have wide chests. If you have a wide chest, that en- enhances your wingspan. Your arms just – well, now I'm just doing body parts. Your arm is your arm. So they're related a- but not exactly the same. We do a lot of body parts on Buckeye Talk. We are but- this far away from being <laughs> – from being a medical podcast. It's like, I didn't think I wanted to go to medical school, but then I listened to Buckeye talk. But these are long-armed dudes. Yeah. So, I mean, for people who maybe don't follow, but, like, the reason it matters is it's just one of those things that has correlated over time. That if you're – for the average human being, your wingspan is essentially your height. It's very close. And for when when people have coordination and that wingspan also exceeds that height – they make money in the NFL and in the NBA. Like this is how it is. I think there's some positions where it matters more than others. I don't know that wingspan as a, is a huge deal for a running back maybe, but it's a huge deal for an offensive lineman. And especially for Dewan Jones, who is as big as he is and kind of has to then have the wingspan because he doesn't have quite the uh, agility that uh, a player who weighs 80 pounds less uh, would have. Um, and as you pointed out, as we talked earlier this week, it's it's it, all of these things. Cause I pointed out something when, when Jackson with the Jigba did his jumps on uh, Friday night or whatever. And I was kind of like, or Saturday night, I was kind of like, eh, those numbers aren't really that special. Cause the, the, the combine, a lot of numbers get kind of clustered together and then you're looking for the outliers and all of these things though. It's, it's, it's everything put together because like with Zach Harrison, for instance, you can look at him and say, okay, those look like pretty long arms. And then he does, they, they go and measure him and they're like, yep, sure enough, those are long. But then it's when he, in addition to that, then he goes and puts up 25 bench press reps, which guys with 36 inch arms have a tougher time doing usually because it's a harder exercise for someone with lar- arms of that length to put up the bench press like that. It's it's kind of a shorter armed guy's 
drill. Tommy Togai was amazing at it and didn't have like super long arms um, and was incredibly strong. And, and Zach Harrison kind of, it helped both, it helped prove his strength more than it helped prove how long he was, I guess is the law, the roundabout way of saying it. So all of these things are just one data point, And then it's when you fuse them all together, I would actually argue it's, uh, you know, Dewan Jones weighing 374 pounds, having the wingspan he does, having the arm length he does is what, when he goes out and runs a five, three, six in the 40, not that amazing of a time, but relative to how big he is, that's actually a pretty good time because there were guys who were a lot smaller who weren't running that fast. So let's talk about Paris Johnson because he's going to be the highest drafted Ohio State lineman in this draft. And coming in to the combine, it was, I think, generally viewed by the draft analysts as between Paris Johnson and uh, Peter Skaronsky of Northwestern for first guy in the draft. And in talking to Paris, Paris was sort of saying like, I am a natural tackle, right? There's just a lot there. And Peter Skaronsky, I was at his interview for a while. And the first thing that came up with him for him was, are your arms going to be a little bit short? And he was sort of like, well, you know, I can't control how long my arms are, but it's basically one of those of, would you rather me be like a guy with long arms who can't block, or would you rather me be a guy right. who can block and happens to have right. short arms? But that's not really the question, because the question is, well, what about when there's a guy with longer arms who also can block, right. like Paris Johnson? But I, the, the general view, it, it felt like Paris, his movement in the drills, the way he measured – do you think Paris Johnson perhaps increased his chances of being the first tackle drafted by what transpired at the combine? I think so. I actually don't have Skaronsky's arm length in front of me. I don't know if you have that. Um, but I think those comparisons are important because, you know, I under, I get where Skaronsky's coming from, but it's a disingenuous argument because we're talking about the first round of the NFL draft. Everybody can block. Everybody can do whatever. It's about then that's why they do the combine. That's because it's about parsing these really small details to decide which guy we're going to give $15 million to, which guy we're only going to give $12 million to. And those things add up. And I think he has helped himself. He had, he had good performances today. Um, he measured in, I, I think pretty well, the, the wingspan 85 and an eighth inches for him is, is, is strong. I was talking to somebody too, um, somebody who covers the bears has covered the bears for a while. And I, brought up like oh you know if the bears trade all the way back to the middle of the first round or like nine like we were talking about with the panthers like then they might have like their choice of the, the tackles i'm like well so do you know who they favor more like um, johnson or skronsky and he immediately said you know, i don't know about skronsky they really don't need a guard anymore and like there's people who think peter skronsky is not a tackle in the nfl or at least not a left tackle in the nfl i don't know how widespread that is but that that vibe is out there, and that vibe I don't think is out there with Paris Johnson. I think everyone says this guy is a left tackle. He may need to actually gain some strength. They haven't done the bench press yet for the offensive line. I think that happens tomorrow. If I'm, I think it happens Mon- tomorrow. Monday? Morning. You mean Monday? Yeah, Monday, Monday. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go, this is Monday. Monday pod, is yeah. the day that you're listening to this. Sorry, yes. But uh, there are people out, people out there who think maybe he needs to get stronger, but they also realize, you know, a year younger, that it's just a guy that um, it, it, he, he's right. He is a natural tackle. And I think maybe that is the thing that he was trying to emphasize was that you don't have to. I can play other positions. I have played other positions and I'm willing to do it. But if you want a left tackle, I'm your guy. Yeah, I, I don't think Skaronsky is going to move inside. He's not going to move inside, at least initially, if he goes in the top 15. Like you don't take guards that high typically. Right. Uh, double checking the measurements. Paris Johnson, 6'6 six, six and 3'8. Peter Skaronsky, 6'4. 
both weighed 313 pounds. Paris Johnson, 36 and an eighth inch for his arms. Peter Skaronsky, 32 and a quarter inches. So that's four inches an arm. That ain't nothing. No. And and I don't know. I think I was seeing some, you know, you look stuff up. I don't know. We're not arm experts as much as we talk about body parts. If we were to list the body parts on Buckeye Talk that we are the greatest experts at, maybe elbow, gut, probably, right? How much your gut grows when you eat chicken wings? Four inches on the arms feels like a lot. I think people say they're generally looking for at least 34-inch arms on tackles. So Paris mm-hmm. is 36 and Skaronsky is 32. Right. So I don't know. The film's pretty good for both, and they're gonna be they're gonna be able to find like sort of some head to head stuff if you want to of like, hey, well, they both played in the Big Ten. They played against the same defensive ends. It feels like to me everyone kind of knew this going in. Peter Skaronsky's arms. If you did top ten things people are curious about going into the combine, Peter Skaronsky's arms they weren't first or second. They're probably sixth, and then it happened. Mm-hmm. It, they were short. I feel like Paris Johnson is going to be the first tackle drafted because he moved well. And I think you have something you want to say, but there's something else I want to ask you about. You asked Paris a question that I was curious about that I think is very specific to his, you know, his, his idea of being a, a high level NFL draft pick too. All I wanted to throw in was an additional number, which was uh, it's about a six inch difference in wingspan. Paris was 85 and an eighth or whatever I said. And, and uh, Skaronsky was not even 80. It was like 79 and a half or something like that. So almost a six inch. And that's a, that's a big difference when you're talking about trying to wall off edge rushers and, and keep them out of the pocket. Like it just it's a it, it's a difference. So I did do a quick survey of tech subscribers before we they we did the interviews and measurements for the linemen and before the workouts for CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba, it was, it was on Saturday morning. So it was pre anything for the linemen. It was after we had talked to Jackson and CJ, but before they had worked out, cause I wanted to lay down a baseline of perception. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but like, what are you guys thinking? You're loyal, dedicated, educated Ohio state fans. You pay money for this stuff. What do you think right now? And honestly, some of that sometimes is like, okay, you listen to this podcast. Let me ask you a question. What do you think? It's like, well, Sometimes it depends a little bit on what we said, right? We're not the only people you guys listen to, but I don't know. I hope we have some effect. What are we doing here? Will Paris Johnson be the first tackle drafted? 51% yes, 49% no. Pre-workout, pre-interview. I said, where will Paris Johnson be drafted? Picks 1 to 5, picks 6 to 10, picks 11 through 15, picks 16 to 20, or pick 21 or later. Pick six to 10, one, 51%. Picks 11 through 15 with second at 35%. That's 86% of the people think he's going between six and 15. My perception, I was a little surprised that it was that, it was basically 50 50 on will he be the first tackle drafted. I think he's the first tackle drafted. I would have a hard time imagining how we don't get to that point now, now that the measurements are in. And I do think the things he said, he is the prototypical left tackle. He really is. And he is a smart, charming, charitable young man that you want on your team. And man, he was built to play this position and he is a heck of a football player. I really do think I think that 32 for Skaronsky, I think it almost locks it in, Nathan. I don't, I'm not sure what the thought process would be of a team that would look at those two and be like, 
because they both are excellent at everything. And then Paris is longer. So I think that idea and also all things being equal, Paris comes from a higher level football program. Does that matter? I don't know. But I think Paris, and I do think if I had to vote in that poll right now, Nathan, of where he would be picked and pick six through 10, that was the number one choice. I think he goes in the top 10. I think Paris Johnson is going somewhere between six through 10. And I think what happened in Indy helped reinforce that. Yeah, I was telling you that I have I've spent some time in my downtime on the uh, the PFF mock drafting. For people who don't know, you can go to pff.com slash mock. You can do a seven-round mock draft. You can trade picks. You pick a team that you want to use. It's, actually, it's a lot of fun. It's kind of addictive. And I've done several with the Bears where I, if you trade back to nine and pick up those picks from the Panthers, like what would they maybe do there? And a lot of times the pick that I end up making is Paris Johnson because uh, as the first – and again, usually it's the first tackle off the board. I, I Maybe somebody sometimes picks Skaronsky ahead of that, but I, I think it makes a lot of sense. That's it's really that's where about where I would start thinking about him being taken. Maybe is like that eight nine. I don't know how bad the Falcons might need offensive line help, but like that eight nine ten range, um, especially when there's trades involved and somebody's moving back, but they want offensive line help. Um, I would be really surprised at this point if he got past fifteen. I just think it, it's not just that he's the best tackle prospect in this draft. I mean, he was legitimately an All-American at the college level. He was a five-star prospect coming out of high school. There's still growth for him, still development for him. He's not like bumping up against a ceiling. He's still young and like all those off the field things that you're talking about that are only enhance his um, his prospects. I just, I, I think he's top half of the first round for sure. Yeah. Just as a point of reference, three tackles in the top 10 last year. Six, seven, and nine. 2021, first tackle one at seven. 2020, first tackle one at four. And there were four in the top 13. 2019, first tackle at 11. Jonah Williams from Alabama. I think Paris is better than him. 2018, first tackle at nine. 2017, first tackle at 20. 2016, tackles went at six and eight. So, I mean, more often than not, the first tackle goes in the top 10. And I think he's the first tackle. And the thing that I wanted to bring up, Nathan, is that you asked him about the idea of you only played tackle one year. What do you think it's going to do? And I think, you know, you didn't phrase it this way, but the implication is, hey, is it going to hold you back? Right. Because you probably, you I don't think there's any probably about it. He was ready to be a starting tackle in college before his junior year. He just didn't get to be. And what did that mean for his NFL draft stock, Nathan? And, and what was his answer for you? And the way I phrased it was like, how much is that coming up with teams? Are teams asking you about that? Is it something teams seem concerned about? And he said, no, it isn't coming up at all. Um, it probably helps that you then went and played an All-American level at left tackle, which is kind of the point that I made when we had this argument on Buckeye Talk at the time was like, OK, I understand what you guys are saying about the one year thing. But what if that one year is he goes and he's an All-American, then I don't know how much that one year holds him back. And then there are ways that you could even argue that it enhances his, his profile. And I don't know how much I believe that, but it is something he was still saying, like I said, as of Saturday, that, yeah, it shows that um, it, it shows some things athletically, I suppose, and technique wise. It also shows that you were a team player. You were willing to do this. You then, you know, went and, and did that more than capably. So um, it does not seem to be a thing that is going to affect his NFL trajectory. All right. We think Paris Johnson's in good shape. Again, March 22nd is Ohio State's pro day. So there's going to be more action. There's going to be, and I've been told that there is going to be a big TV set up there 
that when you have CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Paris Johnson and Zach Harrison and Dewan Jones and these guys doing it, I'm I've been told that there's going to be a presence like almost equal to what was done at the combine. I think you guys are maybe going to all be able to watch it. I don't know if we'll, I, I think maybe you'll be able to watch it like all kind of live. So it's going to be big. March 22nd, big pro day for Ohio State. Quick break. When we come back, let's talk about Dewan Jones and Luke Whipler next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, Nathan. Dewan Jones, we didn't get to talk to him. No fault of his own. We'd love to talk to that guy. Dewan Jones is always a pleasant person to talk to. I was, I think I said a week ago when we did our combine preview that I was would bet that he winds up in the first round. I saw Mike Renner of PFF, who's just a guy who's, you know, on the list of draft guys, who said, Dwan Jones, his size paired with the way he moves absolutely puts him in the conversation to make sense late in the first round. Even it, even though he's maybe, pro, he's never played left tackle. I don't know that that means he can't play left tackle, but like a run game mall or right tackle who can move. He mentioned the Bengals at 30 as a possibility. I know our Bengals reporters, and if you want to know what's up with the Bengals, the Strictly Stripes podcast from Cleveland.com is a great resource. If we have Bengals fans out there listening to this, they were talking to a lot of offensive linemen at the combine. We had three Bengals reporters there. I think they're looking. It's one of those things that Bengals are, are pretty darn good right now. They don't have gaping holes, so they can draft sort of best player available, but they could use some line help. I think they could use some right tackle help. They've had a lot of success with Ohio State guys. I think Dewan Jones at 30 to the Bengals could make a boatload of sense, Nathan. But I think more generally speaking, I don't know. Did Dewan kind of do what Dewan needed to do? For the most part, yeah, I think he did. Um, like I said, I think there were five 40 times slower than his, and he was by far the biggest guy at this combine. I mean, six, eight plus. 374 pounds. We had heard that maybe he actually wanted to be down closer to like 360. So maybe he'll be even lighter at pro day. And, and I don't know if he'll run again though. Cause I think again, just by getting out there and showing at that size that you can go out and run a respectable time, maybe all that he needed to do. Um, but uh, the wingspan now, that was another thing that was a little bit weird because the wingspan that he posted at the senior day was 89 and a half, which would have been the combine record by like a full inch. And it ended up being, Less than that. It was only like 87 and 7 eighths. So it was less than what he did at the Senior Bowl. It's only like the second longest wingspan in the history of the combine, but still like just outrageously long. It's like the wingspan of someone who'd be 7'5 or whatever. And um, 
and I, I think he showed up well. I mean, I think again, I, when I when you just watch him too, he's so massive. But then also when you take into account, it, it's kind of a lean three seventy four. <laughs> for lack of a better term. And I was watching with my he's wife. Not, he, he's not sloppy. He's no, no, really no. Not. Not no. I, I had told my wife earlier in the day, I was like, hey, this guy for Ohio State, 374. And she's like, wait a second. Like, that's like a real weight that like someone weighs and gets to play football. I'm like, no, like not many, but like him. And then we watched it. We watched the replay later. I'm like, hey, there he is. She's like, oh, I thought he'd be like way bigger than that because he doesn't look. You're right. He's not sloppy. He's not just and, and he's in control of it. I think that's that. I think sometimes, like, the eye test matters with things like that. And he's out there and he's keeping up with all the drills. And he he ran uh, the forty, and he can like stop eventually on his own, which seems like it would be almost the hardest thing of running the forty when you're three hundred seventy four pounds. Um, I thought he just looked athletic for for that size. And I think he's only done things from the start of the senior bowl, other than when he got hurt. I think he's only done things that have helped himself. If you're intrigued, you're intrigued, right? And so then I think you're looking maybe for red flags physically of like, okay, well, this guy's bigger than everybody else, and he was a good player at a big-time program for two years, but but what are we missing, right? What's the thing that we're not seeing? And, like, I, I don't yep. think there's, like, a secret. Like, okay, he's not going to be the fastest guy in the world, but he is athletic. He's definitely right. athletic. And he knows – He's a, he really knows how to run block, and he can move his feet well enough in pass blocking, and he has long arms. They're going to help on that, too. I, I, I think if you want to fall in love, I don't think there's any reason not to fall in love. I mean, listen, a lot of it's on film, too. I mean, they were showing it during the drills today, um, just him going downfield and making blocks, multiple blocks on multiple guys on the same play downfield, like leading plays. Like uh, I think the way Daniel Jeremiah, the NFL network guy put it today was like, you you watch him go out and run block and it's like an avalanche. Now that's only half of the job. He's got some things that are, um, if not weaknesses. And I think that may be a word you could use there. There's certainly things he has to correct as far as, you know, being able to redirect pass rushes and he can get beat inside. I think a little bit easier than, than some guys can, but uh, I, I don't We've been wrong before, obviously. People can go back and listen because we're going to do the same episode we do whoa, every year. Whoa, where we, where we, whoa, whoa. Where we don't be weeing. Don't be weeing wrong before. Where we I, I don't, I'm not sure that's a fact. I, I need to go back and double check the tape. Where, where we predict NFL draft picks. And we, we, we've been off by um, sometimes by a, a lot. And uh, I've got a friend who, who covers the Steelers, and we were talking uh, one night uh, about who they might take. And he's like, yeah, they like they really need a tackle and like maybe at 49 and like maybe maybe that guy from Ohio State would be one of them. And I was thinking like, uh-uh. I don't think he's going to last till 49. I think I don't know if he goes in the first round, but I don't think he lasts that long. That would be like 20 picks into the second round. And I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. So we'll we'll get to talk to Dewan down the road. But um, good, good job by him. He did not do the vertical jump, I think. And I think they were worried about what was going to happen when he landed. <laughs> that may have been an insurance issue. Yeah, for for Lucas Oil Stadium for the Colts. Yeah, well, we got cracking the foundation. Dewan Jones did the vertical jump. <laughs> Let's talk about Luke Whipler. Luke Whipler, as you noted, ran the fastest forty among Ohio State players at the combine. Pretty good. 
for a couple of hours, the fastest 40 at the NFL Combine by an Ohio State player was Dewan Jones, which is one of my favorite notes. I was kind of hoping, I was kind of hoping Whipler wouldn't run. So then that would just be a great bar bet to ask someday among Ohio State fans, like, oh, in 2023, who was the fastest 40 time at the Combine among Ohio State players? Be like, oh, wasn't that Jackson Smith the Jigmas year? It had to be him, right? Oh, maybe it was Zach Harrison. Nope, it was the guy who weighs 374 pounds. But no, Whipler. Whipler came in like a flash of lightning and and beat him out. The Jones was officially 535 and let me just double check this. Whipler was officially it was about 5 514. Okay. Well, congratulations. I mean, I would watch that race. Um it seems like Luke tested pretty well among the interior offensive linemen. I think he had the sixth best vertical jump Mm -hmm. among the interior offensive linemen. I think he had the third best three-cone shuttle, which is an agility drill among the interior offensive linemen. And they had the second best 20-yard shuttle, which is another agility test among the interior offensive linemen. So he's not the biggest center, but he's an athletic center. This is a guy who can move a little bit. And when, when we interviewed... Luke, Nathan, I mean, there there is a lot of conversation beyond the stand-up comedy. There's the conversation about, we love to talk about it when we're here. He and CJ know each other so well. They were really connected. Their minds worked in, in coordination so often. Uh, I, I as, as important as CJ's brain is to him, I think Luke Whippler's brain is just as important to him. And so um, I think for him to be quick and athletic, in addition to being smart, you know, you don't have to be the world's biggest dude to be a good center. And I think if you can work angles and you can make the right calls and every now and then you can get out and pull, I I think it felt like Luke Whippler checked a lot of boxes in Indianapolis as well. Yeah, and again, as we were saying before, it, it's, a, it, it's how all of those things balance together. And if you're not the biggest guy, if you're on the smallest, if you're like thought of as being a smaller offensive lineman almost for, for this kind of conversation, then I think your agility drills, your speed drills, those have to be good. Those have to be good numbers. And for his, um, one of them you mentioned, I think it was 20, the 20, the 20 yard shuttle. Um, this is the third best time overall among all the offensive linemen at this draft and the, and the best among any of this, the centers in this draft. So just little things like that. I mean, it was barely better than, than John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota, but still like you get to say, I was the best one at this position out of all these people. So uh, out of the best people in the country that, that chose to do it that day. So it's, I think it's important that, um, in, that if you, if you if you don't have this attribute, then go get this attribute. If you're Jackson Smith, the Jigba and you're not going to run the 40 and you're not a huge receiver, then go out and have awesome times in the other drills that you're doing. Six, three, three Oh three, according to next gen stats, he graded out with the best best uh, athleticism score among all the centers at the combine, and I'm reading like the NFL.com breakdown on him, and they're saying we, you know, the the evaluation is an average starter in the NFL, and it's like, well, I don't know, average starter in the NFL that sounds that sounds pretty good. And one yep. of the things, Nathan, that we talked to Luke about is the idea that in his last game, he helped block maybe the best player in this draft and Jalen Carter. And it felt like Ohio state pretty did a pretty decent job handling Jalen Carter in that college football playoff semifinal. And Luke Whipler was a major part of that. I think, you know, he may have gone anyway, but that was a nice exclamation point on his career. And the idea that, okay, well, if I could hold my own with this guy 
It's not going to get any tougher than that in the NFL. It'll be that tough, but and not everybody, not every defensive tackle he's going to face in the NFL is going to be as good as Jalen Carter. So that's, and I thought that was a good test for him because that's a strength thing. That's a, that's okay. This is a big, this is a big, strong dude who is taller and heavier than you and you've got to hold up. And I thought he did. And he seemed to indicate that, yeah, like that. It's not why he went, but it mattered to him that he did that. Yeah, and I think offensive line too at the NFL level, it's it's there's sort of a corollary with the way that you come in in college. Sometimes even if you're a great prospect, you don't necessarily have to come in and start on day one. Like so, if Whipler's a second round pick, I don't know that teams take you in the second round and think you have to start day one, especially when they know you're getting you after you've only been in college for three years. So there's still another year of development or more. It's it's funny when you look at. Um, I was I was going to be writing about Luke Whipler later this week, and I was looking back through a bunch of Pro Bowls, and I was double checking like where guys had played in college. And sometimes a guy would like make a Pro Bowl, and you would go look, and he retires like a year or two later. Like it's it's a very like kind of older guy position a lot of times. There's there's exceptions, but uh, it's a it's a it's a thing that he can grow into a, a just being a, a starter when it's time. It doesn't have to be immediate the way it might have to be looked at it at another position. So again, the NFL mock draft database, Luke Whippler's listed at 90th overall, sixth amongst interior offensive linemen, and that's guards and centers. I did ask the tech subscribers, uh, where do you think Luke Whippler will be drafted? I gave choices of second through seventh round. He's not going to be a first round pick. Uh, third round got 47%. Fourth round got 28%. Fifth round got 14%. Only 6% said second round. I think I'd say third or fourth round. Yeah. I think second round would be tremendous for him. It feels like maybe a little bit of a stretch, but then again, I I don't know. Do you think it's maybe possible? It, um, It seems like a stretch because as much as he did good things and helped his case here, he still does not like stand out. I guess among that group, I would say, um, I think someone let's compare him to, and it's hard to compare across draft years because the number of players at the position sometimes affects things, but you know, Josh Myers came out, um, was drafted in the second round, but was a much, I would argue like he's a bigger guy. Number one, uh, number two had more like real guard experience. And I think might've been able to be seen as someone who was, more naturally versatile that way and also just had like more accolades i would argue at that point in his career i think was just seen as a little bit more polished but he was a fourth year guy as opposed to a third year guy so i don't know how teams will balance that they can look at that and say well we're getting a guy at a third year if we wait another year we know he'd be a second rounder we have the capital to spend we have whatever we're going to go ahead and take him that high but i think third round is, is more likely Josh Myers pick 62 overall late in the second round. Josh Myers 6'5", 312 yeah. at the combine. Luke Whippler 6'3", 303. Arm length actually similar. Hand size 9 and 5 eighths for Luke Whippler, 10 and 3 eighths for Josh Myers. So Josh Myers is just a bigger two dude. inches taller, yeah. 10 to 15 pounds heavier, bigger hands, bigger dude in general. So I, I do think when you get down to the specifics of it, that could matter enough. So I, I would pick Luke Whippler for the third round right now. Also, I didn't give what I, what the, what the folks said about Juan Jones. I just said, what round first, second, third, fourth, or later 1% fourth or later people are believing in Dewan. 
Third round, 8%. First round, 29%. Second round, 62%. I'm sticking to my first round prediction. But I even, if you think second, you were saying second round, Nathan, maybe, but like you were even saying, like, if it's second round, it's probably pretty early in the second round. Don't be thinking yeah, you're so. going to get this guy in the 60s. I don't think he falls. He's rising. He's not falling. Yeah. I, I think that makes sense. We did also, uh, we had talked about Zach Harrison earlier. Again, he measured very long um, reason to believe he might run pretty fast. Second round was the most popular pick for Zach Harrison. 51% people said third round, 36%, first round, 6%. So it is interesting to think about, Nathan, the idea of Ohio State could have six picks in the top 60. If C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and Paris Johnson are surefire first-rounders, and Dewan Jones, Zach Harrison, and Luke Whipler, Whipler was saying yep. second, maybe third. I mean, Harrison Harrison, and Dewan feel like pretty good second-rounders right now. This could, this could be a pretty good, high-quality draft. You know, they're not going to have 15 guys drafted or 14 guys drafted like they've had at times. But if they wind up with five in the top 50 or six in the top 60 or something like that, Nathan, that that's some high-quality stuff. Yeah, I think that's a big deal. I think it'll be five more likely than six. I guess that's always true to some extent. But uh, Harrison's the one that I'm, I've, I was, I came into this whole process very intrigued by him, by what he would do athletically. Um, I'm still very intrigued. I hope he gets to run the 40 at Pro Day. Um, he pulled a – or tweaked a hammy, didn't want to risk that at, at – both either aggravating the injury or just not running a good time and kind of marring his stock at at, at the combine. By the way, our texters noted um, I sent them a that fun anecdote of us talking to him in the hall where I said he said well, how fast do you think I would run and I said oh well, how fast do you think I would run and he very quickly said slow and that uh, probably around seven two and Doug was standing uh, in this conversation like not just like within earshot mm. like was right there and said nothing. <laughs> did not come no. to my defense that as to whether or not I could possibly crack seven seconds in seven seconds flat in the 40 yard dash. No, I'm just trying to dodge that question as it re- relates to me. I was going to go <laughs> to go to the bathroom or tie my shoe or something. Anyway, uh, yeah, 40 times for old guys. That's uh, fun. No. Yeah. So you're on your own brother. You know that though. I have no one's back. Uh, no, I don't about anything. <laughs> Looking out for number one. Hey, yeah, Zach. No, I think Nathan would be really slow too. Look at Nathan. He's slow. At least I didn't like jump in on that. Yes, right. You did not throw me under the bus. You just let me like humble around in the wheel well on my own. Nathan Baird is so slow. How slow is he? See, that's we can go. (laughs) That's Luke Whipler's next five minutes. Give give it to Luke. Yeah. Uh, People be like, who's Nathan Baird? It's like, don't you listen to Buckeye talk? Okay. So. We've been saving CJ and Jackson. They put on a show in Indy. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. So Nathan, one of the other things I asked, and I'm glad, you know, I wanted to, I just wanted to get this down. I I really do believe in trying to track the evolution of thought. And hey, remember back when we, we all thought this was going to happen. And now two months later, we all think this is going to happen. I wanted to get people on the record, our texters on the record about Jackson Smith and Jigba and CJ Stroud. I asked it two different ways because I think this is kind of what mattered. For Jackson Smith and Jigba, I said, among the receivers, where will JSN be picked? First receiver, second, third, or fourth. Second receiver drafted got 50%. Third receiver drafted got 31%. Fourth 
first receiver drafted 16, fourth receiver or later third. Then for C.J. Stroud, I just said, where? What spot's he going to be picked? Number one, 8% said number one. Number two, 36% said number two. Number three, four, or five, 49% said that. That was the that was the leading vote getter. Six through 10 got 6%. Nobody thought he would last beyond the top 10. So, Nathan, let's start with Jackson. I think if people, if they watched the combine, and if they could vote again today, I think they would change their vote at least to some degree because the way analysts were talking, Jackson really seemed to help himself with what he did. So the last times that we saw Jackson Smith at Jigba, and that was uh, against um, Toledo, and that was against Iowa during the regular season. And he did not look right in either of those games, even before he aggravated the injury, I would argue, and especially in the Iowa game, like it just, something wasn't right. Like he just didn't, he looked ordinary. He didn't have the same pop that Jackson Smith and Jigba usually does. He didn't look like Jackson Smith and Jigba. And Saturday night he did. I thought Saturday night, and again, he's playing against air, but you, you can make some athletic observations there. And especially when you're making them relative to the other guys on the field and who are the best in the world at this or the best in the, uh, the college world at it anyway. And I thought he looked smooth. I thought he looked like he had a little bit of that burst. He was able to make cuts and turns and, and, you know, plant and go. And when you're dealing with a soft tissue injury that has lingered that long, you're looking for like any, like glimpse any any hint of a limp or or something that's like still um enduring like that and i thought it looked very clean i thought he looked like he had that zip and um he kept the ball off the ground he didn't have trouble you know dropping the ball he i thought he made some nice catches he had to go up and make at least one uh, nice leaping grab that i remember um just looked sharp he looked like he looked like he was he's ready to go play football and that was something you haven't been able to say about Jackson for the Jigba in public for six months, and that's just an eternity in in college football. So he he put down some agility numbers that correct, that yeah. So popped. that's that's the first popped. part of it was just I thought it was important that he got out, got through a whole workout, and looked sharp. I thought that alone was going to be important. We knew he wasn't going to run the forty. So then beyond that, though, like what sort of times does he have to put up? Well, as we talked before about that whole balance between all the different pieces of data, he's not a huge receiver, and I don't know what he's going to run as a 40. I there's there are debates out there as to exactly just what his top end speed is, like his long speed or whatever. But the agility, um he killed it. Because the thing if he is a slot receiver and if teams see him as quote unquote only a slot receiver, then what do you have to do? You have to go out and show that you are great in tight spaces, that you can change direction, that you have a lot of agility, that you're explosive in short spaces. And there's nothing that does that better at the whole combine, I would argue, than the the three-cone drill and the 20-yard shuttle. And he had the best time easily among all receivers in both of those things by almost three-tenths of a second in the three-cone, by uh, over or almost two-tenths of a second in the 20-yard shuttle. Um, I mean, there was just separation there. The other best receivers in the country, and he put a gap between him and all those guys. I mean, that that was something that is not just showing up and having a good night. I think it's kind of a statement to say, like, um, it, even if that's what you think the ceiling is, he might be so good at it that it 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 convinces teams that, well, we use slot receivers. We'd love to have a great slot receiver, and this might be as good as any that's that's come out in a while. 
And he measured pretty big, right? He came in, I think he measured, right, six feet tall. He measured bigger and heavier than yep. Jordan Addison, who is the most direct competition. Quentin Johnston's just the bigger receiver, as we talked about a week ago. But he was he was bigger than Addison, and then Addison did not test great. No. And so this is not a concern like like Jackson Smith Jigba is going to be able to handle his business. Like he he is not a small guy. And did you not know he he measured actually even bigger than both Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Now both those guys then went and ran times in the four threes or whatever. So again, that the whole thing, everything playing off of each other. But that's why again, you, you do that and then go do those agility numbers, those those shuttle and, and cone numbers. I think that's just huge for him. I think he may have pushed himself back up to being a guy that was being looked at as like, okay, he's going to fall into the twenties. I mean, now there might be teams considering like that need a receiver like first and foremost. Um, it, even as like someone we we're talking about like the Bears, like depending on where they trade back to. Um, they just need they need offensive impact, and I don't know if he'll climb up into like a top ten conversation, which is probably at the bottom of where they would possibly be drafting. But uh, just teams like that that could use like instant like in, infuse infusion of of reliability and explosiveness. I think he gives you both of those. I, I think he helped himself a lot, and I do think that this now might. I don't know, man. I think he's going to be the first receiver taken. Like, is that like, is there a reason? Because the tape well, is the tape on this guy, right? And I do yep. think his he measured at six six feet and a half inch and one hundred and ninety six pounds. Jordan Addison wasn't even one eighty. He was like twenty pounds heavier than Jordan Addison. So it's like, hey, they're not the biggest guys, but like in terms of like holding up and taking hits and being physical and and being able to be physical with DBs and that kind of thing. And then to be that agile, he's going to get drafted on tape. And then when you're a tape guy, I think they're looking for holes in your athleticism. And it's like, okay, well, if his numbers aren't great, then we're going to have to be like, well, it's still the tape is great. But to be basically as agile as any receiver has been, in recent years at the combine. And I don't even know if he has to run a great 40, but right. he's certainly he big enough. Run. He's very agile and he runs right, great routes and gets open. And then he looks super smooth in the drills. I think he's the first receiver. I think, and I think a lot of our people listening, if you voted, you're like, ah, oh, I can't believe it. I vote. I voted. He'd be third. What am I doing? Well, it's because we didn't know. Right. We didn't know, but I think the package, I think the athletic profile, that package, Nathan combined with the tape, Questions answered. Yeah, and we'll see if he actually runs a 40 at, at pro day, because on one hand, you would say, well, maybe he doesn't have to. Now that he's done those agility drills, he has all this tape, maybe he doesn't have to. But then you could also say, well, as long as he runs it and shows he can and does an okay number, then it only enhances those agility numbers. I, I don't know. As far as him being the first guy, I think the one caveat is if that team that decides to draft the first receiver already feels like it has slot tied up with someone really good and they need a big guy on the outside, then I think you're taking Quentin Johnson, who also I thought did pretty well. He didn't run the 40, but I think he was half off, half an inch off of having the best vertical there. Um, and he's like 6'2 and a, a bigger body guy. So he's got him by a couple inches. I, I could see teams doing that. He had he was an inch off of having the best broad jump. I mean, so there's, you know, it's, it's not just size. He's got the athleticism. He shows some explosiveness. So I could see that 
factoring into who gets taken first. But I think that's the conversation now. It's either you need you want Quentin Johnson because of the size, or you want Jackson Smith and Jigba because of all the things he's shown. I don't think it's Jordan Addison. I think it's it's a, I think it's a two man race. And a year ago, and again, I was thinking about receivers a year ago before the Deshaun Watson trade from a, a from a Browns perspective, right? The Browns, I think they had the 13th pick. And it's like, okay, who? I think the Browns need a receiver. I think they should take a receiver. I think who they should take. And I liked Drake London and I liked Garrett Wilson. I don't know if people realize that. I actually didn't have, to me, Chris Olave was maybe a, a cut below those two guys, honestly. And then Chris Olave tore it up in the NFL. But in the end, Drake London as the bigger receiver went higher. He went eighth to Atlanta, and then Garrett and Chris Olave came soon after. And so I think there is a similar scenario that you're talking about here, Nathan, that yep. sometimes you just can't get away from the bigger guy. And if that's what people, if that's what a team thinks with Quentin Johnston, then so be it. But that Jackson is the best of his type of receiver. And and his type of receiver is just basically anybody who's not 6'3", and anybody who hasn't played a full season outside, right? Those are the only things. He can't make himself taller, and he got hurt. But he was going to be a slot guy anyway. So, you know, that's the one thing. He's he's in the size range of Garrett and Chris, but they both played outside. You know, Chris right. only played outside. Garrett played both. Jackson played just inside. But, again, there's enough maneuverability. I don't think if – I think if – again, if we had Brian Hartline on this podcast right now, we were like, oh, well, I don't know. He – Again, he'd rip the microphones away from our mouths and be like, you think he can't play outside? If he needs to play outside, it's ridiculous. Right. You know, and, so we'll see. And the plan was to get him, I think, some more opportunities outside when they would have gone to two tight ends. Obviously, he would have been the one guy that stayed on the field. And he would, you know, that they did that in abundance of times this past year or should have. But it would have come up more if I think if the season had played out. And again, Ohio State has its own practice film that it can show to any team. And a lot of those guys have already been at Ohio State practices. They may have already seen some indication that, yes, it made sense to use him mostly in the slot at Ohio State, but there's more there than that. And so that's why I've been putting that out there that, like, it's not necessarily what I think doesn't necessarily matter in the conversation we're having. It's more like, how do the NFL teams see him? And there does seem to be some question as to whether or not he's only a, is only a slot. So I'll, somebody on Twitter tweeted this, and it, like, made me raise my eyebrows. And it's a good transition to C.J. Stroud. And it's Houston Texans take C.J. Stroud at two and Jackson Smith and Jigba at 12. And let's go. <laughs> and there's a part of that. You just did the exact same thing I did when I saw it. Because you go, well, huh. Like, I, that's not a reach. I don't think you're reaching for either of those. And in a world where it and this i think is mostly coincidental but i did hear someone get asked about this but we've just had a couple examples jalen waddell and tua tonga in miami Devontae smith and jalen hurts with the eagles most famously joe burrow and jamar chase with the bengals you draft the quarterback and receiver who played together in college it's it's a it's a one one hundredth of a percent compared to everything else that matters but man, like you're not reaching, you're not reaching. And that idea, and then there is, I think, opportunity for some bonus territory there. And as I think I've said on here, it's like, I am, I think CJ Stroud is really going to succeed in the NFL. I'm, I wouldn't be a hundred percent against 
letting him watch for a year because I just because CJ is a guy who I think takes things to heart. I think he hears things. I think it would be, I think him going to a really bad team and suffering through a bunch of losing and people blaming him and whatever. I just think maybe that wouldn't be the best thing for him. But if he's got Jackson right by his side and they go through this together and they're like, hey, man, we're going to flip this. And by the way, Jackson's from Texas. So there's a part of me that like, once you have that seed planted, I that's going to be hard for me to not think about CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba together because Nathan, I, I don't know if you could see watching there, there were a couple balls that CJ in his workout threw to Jackson, but they had them come over to the NFL Network sideline thing and they were hyping each other up. And it was, they were then afterward on Twitter, they were sending each other messages about how good it felt to be out there together again. And these just, these are friends. These are guys who are important to each other in each other's lives who had this last season of playing together taken away. And man, oh man. And I'll t- I mean, if Texans fans would be jacked, Ohio State fans would be jacked. And I think e- every idea of it from a football standpoint makes sense. Could you see them interacting or anything, Nathan, when you were watching Jackson not, and CJ? Not a lot. Um, you know, the first time that, that Jackson ran his gauntlet or whatever, CJ was like the last guy in that row that threw him a pass and saw them sort of in passing. I was actually looking for it before they got started and they were sort of kind of keeping in their own spaces a little bit because they obviously had to concentrate on what was about to come. So uh, I couldn't see it where I was sitting up in the stands, but um, you obviously saw, yeah, like what you're talking about on, on social media and things after. And I think more so than what was taken away from them last year, it's obviously what they experienced together in 2021, which was uh, both kind of coming into their own together. You know, it was early on that season, Jackson was still very much the third guy. Uh, I think he had a, he had like some decent numbers against Oregon. That was a game where CJ actually had, obviously had to throw the ball a lot, um, but it was kind of cool early on. And then it, it picked up in a big way as the season went on and obviously culminated in that Rose Bowl. And we've talked before about, you know, the circumstances of that Rose Bowl and, and how some of those numbers came about, but there were still some, some magical moments along the way. Um, it, in 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 a number of 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 different places where you know CJ had uh, could knew that he could throw balls in a certain way and Jackson could catch it regardless um, in in the tough situations and I think that connection would would translate now you know they both then have to go do their individual things athletically obviously but um, it's intriguing to think about and I'm sure that there are probably some people in the Houston organization that are thinking about it so CJ Stroud. So it was an interesting day. So CJ did not do anything other than throw. Is that correct? Correct. So Anthony Richardson comes out and Anthony Richardson is like, I don't know, the best athlete of the combine. He's unbelievable. Like he, he ran in the four fours as a quarterback and he, he lit up those things and it, I got caught everybody's attention. And while those were out there, I was like, cause I had written a thing over the weekend that and tried to place these guys. And I just thought, man, I could just see, I can see the Texans taking an upside swing. Someone trades up for Bryce Young at one. I can see the Texans taking an upside swing. They're, they're building something. They've got a defensive coach. Sometimes those defensive coaches always think that the toughest thing to defend is a quarterback who can move and, and do things when plays break down. Man, I can just see Richardson, and all of a sudden, CJ's like the third quarterback, but he's still probably in the top five. And then when Anthony Richardson set it on fire, I was like, okay, okay. And then 
C.J. Stroud came out and threw a football, which is what quarterbacks actually do. And Daniel Jeremiah on the NFL Network is basically saying, this is about as good as I've ever seen anybody throw it at the combine. And again, it's a part of it, Nathan. And I knew what they were talking about. You were watching it live. I watched it Mm -hmm. on TV. But that view from behind C.J., the way he throws the ball, you can, he's not throwing it as hard as some guys are. And they did like the, what's your fastest throw? I think he threw it 59 miles per hour. Some guys did 62, 61. It's not like he doesn't have a strong arm. But it just goes exactly where it's supposed to go as an, and is incredibly catchable. And then sometimes you, you forget. And I just think, well, I don't know. That's what a quarterback's supposed to look like. And then you saw some of the other guys, and they're throwing on air, but the ball is not going exactly where it's supposed to go. And it's like, oh, right. It still can be hard to put a football exactly where you want to put it even if nobody's rushing in your face. And CJ throwing seemed to mesmerize people, Nathan. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it throwing a ball against air is easy, but doing it every single time is hard. I mean, he was doing it every single time. It's like, you know, shooting a free throw is easy, but shooting 100% on free throws over a long period of time is, like, impossible. Like, there's, you know, and I thought the thing that impressed me the most of him were those deep outs that I thought were just into a pillow every time. And he does, it It looks so effortless. I think that's the the thing that stands out with you too. And like you talked before about him kind of being the, the coolest about just from a personality standpoint, but he's pretty smooth on the field too, just in mechanically and demeanor. And it th- those were the plays that they were coming towards me, like where I was sitting. Those deep outs were sort of angled towards where they had the media sitting. And I, he was just dropping them in a bucket. And I was really impressed, like it just how many times he was hitting guys in step. And the receivers that you don't know, it wasn't it was rarely Jackson Smith, the Jigba. It's usually just some guy from you know, Houston or Washington state or Louisiana tech. It's just whoever they match you up with. Like it's, it's kind of alphabetically. So it ends up being some of the same guys because they have them cycling through, but like you might be getting uh, Jordan Addison or, or Quentin Johnson. And you might be getting a guy who was like the last invite, like Roger Goodell's nephew or whatever. And they're all just scrolling through and he's hitting whoever it was. Um, I I was really impressed by him. I thought that that night was more important for Jackson because Jackson had more to prove more to answer for. Cause in some ways, maybe I was colored by coming into it thinking, um, Oh, I mean like he's going to throw against air and he's going to look good because he always looks good throwing the ball. But then I kind of came out of it in reverse thinking like, well, if you guys were really impressed by that, like, go watch the film because he does it when there's guys on the field playing defense, too. So one of the other things. So Bryce didn't throw, but then Bryce was hanging out while CJ mm-hmm. was throwing because they're friends. They yep. know each other. And I think Bryce Young is an excellent player, and I think he's going to do well in the NFL. When he stands next to CJ, he looks like CJ's younger brother. Mm-hmm. And it just is a little bit of a reminder. Bryce Young measured at 5'10 something, and I think that was a victory in some regards. And CJ was like a smooth 6'3. Bryce weighed 200, which I think was a surprise to some people. CJ was what, like 215 or something like that? 214, yeah. uh, 215. So I yeah. thought maybe CJ would be like 25 pounds heavier than Bryce. But it is one of those things of like they stand up next to each other. And it's like, okay, well, which which is the guy here? And it's like, okay, well, that guy's literally five inches taller. That seems like it might matter. So, but Bryce didn't throw. Bryce got measured, and that was the big thing for Bryce at this combine. I am fascinated by the idea, by the idea, Nathan, depending 
how you evaluate quarterbacks, what matters to you, what matters the most. I think there probably are some teams who walked away from the combine talking about Anthony Richardson and and what he ran and what he jumped and those things. And then I think there are sometimes that some teams that walked away talking about how CJ Stroud looked throwing the ball. And I think it will be, it's a lot of personal choice. It's upside, it's floor, it's how they fit in your offense. But I thought both those guys accentuated their best attributes. Anthony Richardson is rare. Man, that guy's a chance to be special. And CJ Stroud, man, he can sling that rock. So I think it was good days for both of them. And I am fascinated to see where it goes from here. And then it does. It also part of me, Nathan. So for a day after CJ was like, hey, I can run if you need me to run. I wish I ran more at Ohio State. Then it's like, okay. And then he comes out and, and does that. And so for a day, I was like, well, you know, I kind of was always like, why are we talking about the running thing? He's dangerous behind the line of scrimmage. As soon as he crosses it, he's not dangerous anymore. Who cares about this? And then it seemed like CJ cared. And I was like, oh, I guess maybe this is a real thing. And then he got out and threw the ball like that. And I was like, does anyone else want to talk about running? Does <laughs> anyone else care? Who? I mean, you have to be able to do it just enough. And I think he can. But it's that. Other guys don't look like him throwing a football. And I think he's going to be a small window guy in the NFL. And I think I think he showed that on Saturday night, Nathan. And I think the certain right type of teams walked away thinking like, ho, 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 that guy. Yeah, and, you know, I, what you were saying before, I, I would almost play devil's advocate and say it the other way as far as like, well, maybe a defensive-minded head coach would look at it and say, well, if he's a, you know, a, um, those guys are the hardest to, those mobile guys are the hardest to defend. But if I think of like, who do you think like Pete Carroll or Bill Belichick would like as their quarterback? Would they maybe like a guy who you could put in a system, very high floor, low um, mistake uh, quotient, quote, quotient um, high character, high um, poise factor, like a guy that you could build, you could build everything around him. He doesn't have to go win you games by doing amazing things. Now I say that Pete Carroll obviously had Russell Wilson who was doing a lot of athletic things for those, the team that won a Super Bowl, another team that went there. So I, I'm, I'm contradicting myself maybe slightly, and I'm not saying that CJ Stroud is the next Tom Brady. Tom Brady, though, obviously not a mobile guy. Peyton Manning, not a mobile guy. Like you can be, um, even even Matt Ryan, the guy that we were talking about as a comp for him uh, last week. Not a not a mobile guy, but a guy who could do a lot of really good things in the NFL for teams that won a lot of games. Like I could almost see it going the other way for somebody being risk averse and seeing the comparison between the upside and the downside being so much in Stroud's favor compared to someone like Anthony Richardson and even compared to someone like Bryce Young. So I think it's going to be four quarterbacks in the top seven. I just have Will Levis pegged to, to the Raiders at seven. Mm-hmm. And I think someone trading up to number one, the Texans at two and the Colts at four, unless the Colts trade up. But I, th- those are the, I think Texans, Colts, and the team that gets most aggressive for a jump are going to wind up taking Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Anthony Richardson in some order. And I, my guess would be the three of them go in the top four. And I think Richardson, I think Bryce already showed it. And I think Richardson and CJ showed it enough that people are going to come get him. 
They're not going to wait. If this idea of like, oh, my mock draft, I have CJ Stroud falling the nine. He's not falling the nine. It's not going to happen. And and I thought someone made a good point. With what Anthony Richardson did at the Combine, I saw somebody tweet that if we had had a full Combine two years ago for Justin Fields, mm. he wouldn't have fallen as far as he did. Mm. Because if you think that Anthony Richardson was going to go right. put on an athletic show – Justin Fields, I think, would do a similar thing and then also come out and throw it better. Right. And I just for, so people know, because we haven't really talked about it in this detail, but like Anthony Richardson's college numbers are fine. He ran the ball well. His passing numbers are kind of fine. I think he was had like a 130s quarterback ratio, whereas Stroud was up in the like high 170s, 180s, last maybe 190 even the last couple of years. Uh, I think yards per attempt, Stroud was 9.5. Richardson was sub eight i think like 7.8 like just very adequate and some of that is that he wasn't playing with multiple nfl draft pick receivers the way stroud was that that is a factor but there's other things there that would tell you i mean there, nobody in this draft is a better passer than cj stroud nobody and we knew that before saturday night yeah and just again we referenced dane brugler who just is, does a really good job for the athletic he tweeted Walked away from Saturday, and the two people who impressed him the most were Jackson Smith and Jigba and C.J. Stroud. So I think the race is on. I would keep your eyes on Seattle at five with ammo. I think they have a chance to be – because Pete Carroll was talking in a way that like – and John Schneider, the GM, I was asking him questions about it. Like I I think they might go because they had Russell Wilson for a long time, and Geno Smith had a great year like – this past season, but Pete Carroll said like, we're not going to be up here again for a while. Probably we haven't been this high and they're only this high. Cause it's the Denver pick that they got for Russell Wilson. That's why they're at five and they have their own pick with that can get them up if they need to. So I think Seattle has a chance to be a mover. And I think Carolina at nine has a chance to be a mover. And I think they, I think between Seattle, Carolina and Indy, I think those are the three movers and you see, and Houston at two is going to take one. So then there's only, I don't know, do they love Will Levis enough? I mean, it could be four quarterbacks in the top five. Everybody's going to jump. And I know Jalen Carter, and I know Will Anderson, and Tyree Wilson, the defensive end from Texas Tech. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. They're going to jump for these guys, and I think I think Richardson and, and CJ especially. So the race is on, and there's going to be a day. Like, we're going to sit here and talk about it for a couple months, and then there's going to be a day where somebody trades for number three or for number one. And we're all going to be like, oh man. And it's probably going to be the trade for number one first. And then the trade for three maybe won't happen until like the day before the draft or draft night. Once you see what happens and who the first two picks are. But I would say now I would almost be surprised. I think CJ's floor is four. I think his floor is the Colts staying where they are. And I think I might bet on him going in the top three and maybe it's still to Indy, but they have to jump to make sure they get him. So I think it's, I think it was a good combine for Ohio state guys, Nathan. I, I think it was too. I, and I, I think, like I said before, I mean, there were, you could hear the crowd there. I think there are people who are Indianapolis Colts fans who left that stadium that night thinking um, this would be a good fit. And I, I it's, it's regardless of what's happened there the last couple of years, that's, been considered one of the like more stable 
better run franchises. And if they can get a quarterback, which has been the thing that's been just, it, they've been flailing for a while at quarterback. If they can just fix that again, I think you could see that be a, a place of stability and a place where he could, he could, he could plant something and do something good. So Andrew Luck retires and they go Jacoby Brissett, Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, yep. and they are desperate. There's no doubt they're taking a quarterback and they want to settle this position for the next 15 years because they had either Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck for basically two decades. And they want to get back to that. And I, I just, I do think CJ Stroud is the answer for the Colts. I just am not sure if they'll be able to actually pull it off. I think that makes the most sense. They have a new offensive head coach, Shane Steichen, who was the offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles is the new head coach there. And he would move in with some weapons. And I, th I think it could be a great fit if they, they can pull it off. Okay. Guess what? Spring football starting. That'll be on Tuesday, so we're not going to have a Tuesday morning podcast because we're going to wait. We're going to go watch football at 8 a.m., and then we're going to talk to Ryan Day after practice. I think talk to Jim Knowles after practice, right, Nathan? Is that and, the plan? Yes, and some players we don't yet know who. And so we'll do that, and then we will get the podcast out to you as fast as we can on Tuesday. But we just don't think there's much sense in dropping like a Tuesday morning podcast that it's like, oh, my gosh, by 8 a.m. we're going to be watching like, who are the new guys to keep an eye on for Ohio State football? So we want to get, we don't want to make you wait till Wednesday. So we'll be out, I hope, by dinner time at the latest on Tuesday, maybe significantly before that. It'd be great to be up by like two or three. We'll see. And then we'll get back on track. I think we'll be back to normal Wednesday morning. And then we'll wait again on Thursday because Thursday we're going to watch practice again and talk to people. So it's just, we're, this is, and then next week is spring break, but this is going to be, it's here. It's football week. Here we go. So this was the combine wrap and Tuesday mid afternoon or late afternoon, we will bring you what is the start of the 2023 Ohio state football season. First day of spring practice, go read cleveland.com slash OSU. Nathan, do you want to tease your Monday story? Uh, yeah, my long-awaited Keenan Bailey story. Still doing the final edits to it as we record this Sunday night. It'll be up first thing Monday morning. Um, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. It's uh, I thought I talked to a lot of people for it, and I think there's just a lot of fun details that tell you who Keenan Bailey is and how he got here because it's a it's an unconventional climb that he made from a guy who barely played high school football to intern to quality control to then a guy that Ohio State was desperate to keep and finally promote and uh, just a, a, a fun little journey through the years with Keenan Bailey. And very quickly, let's go to our Ohio State basketball segment. They're the 13 seed. Okay, that's our basketball segment here on Buckeye Talk. Ohio State plays Wisconsin on Wednesday at uh, 630 in one of the early games. Uh, by the way, women's hockey, number one seed. In the NCAA tournament, women's basketball, huge comeback upset win of number one seed Indiana, and then got to the Big Ten championship game and got the doors blown off by Caitlin Clark and Iowa. But guess what? Lots of people got the doors blown yeah. off by Caitlin Clark and Iowa. They're projected as a three seed in the NCAA tournament, and then that would mean that they would be hosting games in Columbus. And Columbus is also a site for the men's tournament. Mm -hmm. So it looks like there's going to be both men's and women's games in Columbus. And one of the sites will actually include an Ohio State team, and then, and then, and then the other team will well, maybe be there watching games. The the men's one couldn't have Ohio State at it. That's like one of the rules of the men's tournament. But but, but they're not in the tournament the rules, at all. 
Yeah. The, the other rule is a little known rule. You can't be bad. <laughs> you you definitely can't play games at that site if you're not even in the tournament. I will give you that. Yeah. Okay. So we will see you guys on Tuesday afternoon. Make sure you read include.com slash OSU for Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>